Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. On the Game On Podcast. Australia A, you had some success with that with in 94-95, Macca, which probably helped as well? Yeah, I think so. Look, it was... Uh, um, I'd had a pretty good season, 94-95, yep. and, uh, you know... The, it was great that they introduced the Australia A concept and uh, it was really interesting that, you know, <laughs> by the end of the, the tri-series that uh, it seemed like the crowd was on our side. Yeah. They were barracking for the underdog and wanted us to knock Australia over. And I don't think Tubby Taylor was very happy about it at the time. So. Yeah, I think Tubby really, he took exception to that probably more than anyone else, actually. It was... Yeah, he did. He did. He didn't like it. He yeah. did not like it. And, you know, we had some serious players in that Australian A side, so that went on to play many, many matches for Australia, the Australian team. So. Well, it certainly helped Bluey's, Bluey's test, to get Bluey's test to boo as well. That's right, yep. And Georgie played played in, played in that as well, and Hags played a little yep. bit as well, so there was a South Australian connection there as well. Now, Baggy yep. Green, number 364, and of course, debuting here at Adelaide Oval against England. Uh, Macca, go through your memories there, and of course, obviously, one of them's batting with Bluey, so yeah. And, and yeah, Bluey, was. Bluey caught your first wicket too, I reckon, on memory. He did. He did. I think that that was uh, Mike Gadding. Gadding, And yeah. uh, uh, look, to to actually, I suppose, have a friendly rivalry with Warney over many years to eventually be chosen for my debut in an Australian side, not replacing him but playing with him. Yep. I, I, was, I was quite chuffed by that and... Uh, I'd come off a pretty good season, pretty confident, and uh, I guess it was the whole, you know, Adelaide Oval factor, uh, two leg spinners um, against England, and uh, I'll just start. And of course, they started on Australia Day back then too. So we, um, with the Test match uh, opening on Australia Day, was another special day as well. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis. 
cricket and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete, once again joined by Malcolm and uh, Peter McIntyre. Fantastic last week, giving us insights into playing with, with Warney here at the Adelaide Oval. Yeah, it was education as well. Like Macca took us a few different directions there. Quite amusing with a couple of stories of if his preparation for games was different. Um, but then also in the bit of what's happening around the traps now. So, yeah, Macca was fantastic. He was. We thank him for his time. And uh, and uh, if you want to listen to that episode again, that's obviously available last week. Around the Grounds. Today on Around the Grounds, uh, we're going to kick off uh, or have a little bit of a look later at the soccer, the SNFLW, the rugby, but we're going to kick off, obviously, with the AFL. Round two has been completed. Any surprises from round two for you? Oh, probably North Melbourne beating Frio was the main one, and, and St Kilda comfortably defeating Western Bulldogs. You know, they were probably the main two for mine in that regard. Yeah, I think Port Adelaide's uh, loss to Collingwood was a little bit of a shock in the way that it went about. You know, Collingwood really put their foot to the floor right from the get-go and uh, almost stunned Port Adelaide to a certain degree. I think, in fairness, Collingwood are just probably a lot better than a few of us thought they were going to be, and they have gone to the next level, which I didn't think they were going to. Um, so, yeah, full credit to the uh, Pies at the moment. So. Absolutely. And we move on to round three, mate. Uh, we'll do some quick... We'll run through the tips pretty quickly. The Bulldogs and the Lions... Oh, well, at this stage, since we're recording on the Wednesday night, the Bulldogs are up in the third quarter. I'll go for the Bulldogs, mate. <laughs> I might go. I might go for Brisbane yeah, in an upset, yeah. but there you go. Uh, Collingwood Richmond Friday yeah. night. This this one for me, and we'll talk about match of the round in a, in a minute. But this one here has some interesting ins and outs already for Richmond. But do you see Collingwood replicating what they did last week? You've got to tip Collingwood at the moment. You know Hopper and Martin out. Okay, Cox out for Collingwood's a big out, but. Um, yeah, no, you've got it. You've got to tip Collingwood at the moment. Giants uh, and Carlton Saturday afternoon. It's a toss of the coin job a little with, bit, it being, isn't it? with it being back there, and also noting that Whitfield and Kelly are back for GWS. Which poor tipping on my behalf last week. I didn't realise those two weren't playing yeah. in Perth, so I admit that that was poor. Um, well, they went within a whisker though yeah. of pinching it, so. so. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, clash of the... I'll go, I'll go Clarkson. Go Clarkson. Yeah. Three from three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of favouring North Melbourne a little bit there as well, but um, I, I'm not sure where Hawthorne are at at the moment. They're rebuilding, not rebuilding, uh, trying to do something different, tanking, not tanking. It's it's a bit of a mixed bag. I can't trust them at the moment. North Melbourne obviously have grown an extra leg with Clarko on board, so interesting, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, St Kilda Essendon, I'll go St Kilda. I'll go Essendon on that one there, uh, and 
probably from a local point of view here in SA, match of the round Saturday night, Port Adelaide v the Crows. Yeah, I'll go Port. I'm going to go Port there as well. I have given the Crows the benefit of the doubt in the last couple of weeks and they've let me down two weeks in a row. So I think it's going to be a good game. And again, both teams, it doesn't matter where they are on the ladder, they are going to provide a pretty good contest. But I think Port Adelaide on this one. Sunday, uh, Suns v Geelong. Yeah, well, you've still got to stick with Geelong, but geez, it's a big game. Mm. If, uh, Geelong go north three. It starts to, you think, know, maybe Selwood's a big, a bigger loss than we all realised. Yep. Um, so yeah, what will you go Geelong? You do give the Suns a chance. Toss. Yeah. I'm in the same boat here. A bit of a toss of the coin, yeah. but I think Geelong are going to have just probably a little bit too much class. Um, but if Gold Coast get on a bit of a run there at home, yeah. you, you never know. Yep. Uh, another classic game, Melbourne v Sydney. CG. Yeah, and obviously um, gone out. But yeah, look, I'll still go the D's down there. But again, it's a toss of the coin. I'm going to go Sydney. Yeah, uh, can't just, argue with that. I just think that um, they're quietly achieving yeah, they what, what they need to do without every, everybody jumping on board going, they're going to be this, they're going to be that. They've just snuck in the last couple of weeks as far as you don't know necessarily what they're up to, and yet they're still getting pretty good results as well. I think the well, big thing so. for Sydney is they actually bat very deep. Mm-hmm. I think their 19th, 20th, 21-22 player is well and truly better than the majority of the other sides. Yep. I think that's their key, uh, and they are. That game, yeah, look, I might even change my mind when I see the teams tomorrow. But yep. Yeah. Yeah, young group. Uh, yeah. Again, we, we talked about this in our sort of pre-season wrap of uh, how Sydney are going to be uh, well-placed for another tilt at, at a premiership this year or in the next couple of years, and their age, and like you said, they're batting quite deep as well. Yeah. And to finish off the round, uh, we've got a local derby over in Perth, uh, Frio v the Eagles. I'd like to see the two sides tomorrow, but oh, look, at the moment, Fremantle are probably the most disappointing side in the comp. Um, you know, two games which on paper, St Kilda first up, mm-hmm. St Kilda all their injuries, and then losing to North Melbourne last week. I might go West Coast. I'm going to go Frio. I think yeah. that was the kick in the bum that they needed last week yeah. and also from the first week as well. You're right, they have been a little bit of a disappointment so far. Do you think someone like Josh Carr leaving and as an assistant coach at Frio may have... I don't know. Again, I'm I'm looking for yeah. air angles here. I don't understand they probably why lost, they lost a few acres, lob. Yep. Um, there's a couple other. Um, so the structure so is going to be a little bit. We went to North yep. Melbourne, Logue. Um, so yeah, I, I, probably a bit more turnover than what we really yep. took close note of. So yeah, toss the coin as toss well. Toss of the coin on that yep. one. There. You're going the West Coast. I'm going yeah. Uh Game of the round for you, mate. Where where are you at with it? I'll go Collingwood-Richmond. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those classic Friday night games. Um, my other one is probably Melbourne-Sydney. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. They're the two. They're the mine. two that, that I'd certainly yep. be keeping the most eye on. Uh, obviously, from a local point of view in SA here, there's the Port and the Crows. Who's going to have bragging rights Monday morning or Sunday morning? It's going to be very interesting there. And Yeah, the Melbourne-Sydney one for me and the... Richmond Collingwood can can Collingwood go one better this year and and yeah. make a grand final. So uh, they've done very very well. All right, we move on. Yep. Uh, SNFL. Yes, SNFL round one. We have been sort of hanging out for round one for the SNFL, considering the AFL started a couple of weeks ago. But um, 
We'll go through our tips there as well. But some key matchups in round one for you, mate. The Eagles, Nord, Panos and Sermon both didn't come up. A couple of pretty important outs. Mm-hmm. I actually thought Luke would have come up yep. uh, and that. So uh, a bit sore. He was confident on Tuesday getting up, but obviously he hasn't. Yep. Um, Jack Hurd in for his first, hasn't played any trials, has been named. So hopefully he does play. Yep. Uh, a few guys for Nord underdone as well. Just a lot of injuries. Josh Richards still out from his injury from the finals from last year. So, and, and look, the trial game, and I know it's only a trial, but Woodville West Torrens were really impressive that night. But at Thebiton, the tighter confounds of Nord Oval tomorrow night. Toss Ch- the, changes a little bit, yeah. Yeah, toss the coin job. Obviously, I hope Nord get up. But yep. Yeah, wait and see. Uh, for me, the other match of the round is probably Sturt and the Tigers yeah. that I'm most interested in. We, we did talk about that a couple of weeks ago, that we think that uh, that one there is going to just sort of sort a few of the teams out as to where they are. My other one, obviously, with you is uh, Norden the Eagles. You are probably a touch closer to, to the squad than what I have been over the last couple of weeks as far as who's in and who's out. Uh, yes, we don't take too much of the form from trials. We've been burnt a little bit on that in the AFL in the last couple of weeks, so you never know. And obviously Nord playing at home, unveiling the Premiership flag as well is a bit of a um, incentive new, as well. The new lights, and yeah. they are fantastic. Honestly, yep. um, well and truly worth anyone who's thinking of going along tomorrow night, get out there and have a look. Absolutely. Alright, we'll go through our tips quickly. The Eagles? Oh, look. Reluctantly Nord? Uh, North Adelaide against West Adelaide. Yep. I think Westies will be the one side who really struggle. I'll go for South against the Bulldogs. And that's at at, at, Flinders University Stadium, down at Nolunga there. I think the Panthers, you're right. I think the Bulldogs are going to surprise a few this year. Sturt and Glenelg. Purely because it's at, I'm trying to think what it's named at the moment. Wigan Oval. Wigan, that's it. Yep. I'll I'll go for Sturt. I might go for the Tigers in a bit yep. of an upset there. And we've got the local showdown, not only in the AFL, but in the SNFL as well. Yeah, I'll go for Adelaide in that game. I'll go for Adelaide as well. Do you think, just talking about that one briefly, I know we don't want to talk yep. too much about the that game specifically, but do you think that's a little bit of a measuring stick as to how deep those teams are going to go when it comes to AFL? Because, you know, Port looked like they've put all their eggs in one basket, but one or two injuries could also derail that. And Adelaide are almost in the same boat where one or two injuries are going to sort that out as well. I think Adelaide have got a hell of a lot of players who are about the same level and a lot of honest battlers, mm-hmm. way too many honest battlers to be and look looking at their list. And that's where I think you've got quite a few who are reasonable yep. to good SNFL players. Yep. Can they make that step, though? Step. No, at AFL level. Like, right. I, I, look, I'll be and honest. And Porter in the same boat? Yeah, I think I think Adelaide probably have got more depth in terms of to be reasonable at SNFL level yep. than Port. Right. I don't think that's so much for AFL level. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, probably on injuries, injuries could with Port. But yeah, they've also got a couple just unknowns. Pacini, who is coming back from a knee reco, um, um there's a couple others from Port with injuries from last year. Hayes is coming back as well. Yep. Teakle. So, bit of an unknown. 
Absolutely. All right, we'll keep an eye on those yep. games over the yep. weekend. Obviously, uh, we'll be at the Norwood Eagles game tomorrow night. Yes. I may even take a little bit of a, a shortcut down to Only Oval on Saturday to, to have a little a little bit of a look at that game as well. Of course, anyone can come over and say hello on the scoreboard at Norwood Oval tomorrow night. And uh, yes, I will have copies of my book with me, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Look for Malcolm on the, uh, at the scoreboard. Yep. All right, mate, we move on. Cricket, the Bradman medal and the Rolton medal have been run and won. Yeah, so Cam Valenti becomes one of only three people to win the Bradman medal uh, playing for two different clubs, joining Andrew Sincock and Ben Hook. Mm-hmm. So a significant achievement where Cam came back from Tasmania, recruited back. Port Adelaide sort of uh, desperate to keep up uh, in in the grade of Premier Cricket. Yep, he yep. was their gun recruit. Yes. You can't argue that they didn't get a winner there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was also, also with Luke Robins who came runner-up. He had a very good year for East Torrens. Yes. Bowling-wise and that. So um, significant. Great achievement by him to be runner-up, but yeah, Cam Valenti was a deserving winner. I think he still could have played in the one-day side. Yes. And a couple others, so I was a little bit surprised in that regard. Yep. Uh, well, you know, I will say Josh Barrett winning the Charlie Walker for the sixth time, the wicket-keeping wise, and he should be playing shield cricket. I will be amused and, yep. yeah, probably we, a little bit We obviously talk about talk way. about that a little bit that... You know, you want to be fostering that uh, oh. SA players that are coming through yeah. and hopefully over the next um, year or two with the changes that are going to happen that they will get opportunities oh, look, that Josh they deserve. has been around for a long time. I think yep. it's farcical that he hasn't played Shield cricket. Um, yeah, you can sit here and debate. Yeah, I, I will be honest. Mm-hmm. I would pick him before Harry Nielsen. Yep. I've, I've got, you know, I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. But there was also the situation this year when Harry, when. He was in when Harry Nielsen didn't play in the Shield game in Victoria, and bizarrely that Barrett wasn't picked, and that was for mine the the most ridiculous non-selection for the year. Mm-hmm. So that's a personal opinion. Uh, congratulations to Kelly Armstrong in terms of the yes. Rolton medal. medal. Yep, first ever player from Adelaide to win to win the award. Uh, had a very good year with bat and also contributed with her with her leggies. Uh, it was fourteen wickets and around six hundred odd runs. So, wow. yeah, a deserved winner there as well. So, Premier Premier League teams of the year. Yes, Kelvin Kelvin Smith, Josh Kelvin Smith from West Torrens, Josh Barrett, Ben Charles with Daniel Drew, Campbell. It was probably reasonable mix. I I had a good look. Probably a couple of selections. I was a little surprised on, but overall, I, I think they did a pretty good job. Yep, and certainly shared amongst the girls as the girls there as well. And some of those girls obviously are gone on to represent uh, the Scorpions and yeah. and the BBL uh, winning teams as well. So they've had a pretty good year. Yeah, and Sarah Lowe, and Alex Price have both been very consistent uh, contributors amongst in the girls' side of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say on the uh, looking at the Premier League page at the moment. Jamie Pennelly was uh, Kenzie District Club named as quite cor- quite rightly the female coach of the year, where Kenzie did win the premiership in that grade. Yep. Well, it's now Thursday, and they've still got Jamie Pennelly's spelling of his name wrong. I think that's uh, that's not great. Yep. It's not hard to spell someone's name. Correctly. Absolutely. Okay. In the men's. Yeah, as as we said on the men's side of things, with Kelvin Smith and Josh Barrett. Yep. Uh, Lloyd Pope had a very good year for Kenzie with the ball. 
a little bit unlucky not to be, get back in the shield side. Mm -hmm. Pope was a consistent contributor. Yep. Campbellini was the obvious choice. So, yeah, some. I, I didn't have too many too many beasts with either side. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I took a little bit of a look at it and obviously was uh, quite impressed with some of the names that were there. And you've, you've quite succinctly put it through that these players uh, not only deserve their spot, but, um, you know, should be getting opportunities at a higher level. All right, mate, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a little bit of a look at the soccer, uh, some SANFLW from last week, and uh, a bit of a quick chat about the NRL again. Yep. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. So, welcome back. So, the soccer. Australia play their friendly against Ecuador. Yeah, 1-0 up at half time, but fell away and lost 2-1. Uh, yep. Was a, a little bit disappointing, but yeah, they're still... Pretty competitive. Absolutely. But, but yeah, positive so. signs, they're using a lot of their younger players to give them some game experience. Yeah. So, and a pretty heavy South Australian contingent. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. I remember I saw an article the other day uh, on one of the news channels that a couple of the guys were in there playing cards and they looked around and it was like, oh, hang on. It's part of the uh, the Adelaide United team yeah. that were, were playing as well. The young keeper, goalkeeper, given his opportunity, uh, did very, very well the other night. Certainly, some as the number two keeper for Australia, the opportunity was needed. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. um, um, and then the Reds play away this week against the Western Sydney Wanderers. Big game, huge game in context of not only their season but obviously trying to, you know, nail down that uh, top two spot if possible. But certainly, what they. They need is a, another win, but they haven't come back from breaks all that all that well in 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 previous goes. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out. But uh, we wish the Reds uh, the best of luck. Yep, definitely, absolutely. For the SNFL uh, W round th- uh, five yeah. uh, was completed last week. Sorry, yeah. a little bit of a mistake on the run sheet there. Yeah. Round five was played last week. Some pretty good wins, and like we mentioned shaping the ladder a little bit with some of those top four teams playing each other. Yeah, Glenelg will probably put the foot down and do look the team to beat at this stage. Uh, Nord had an important win against Sturt to keep them keep themselves alive in terms of finals-wise. Uh, North are probably not... Uh, they're probably struggling a little bit compared to what we thought would happen yep. overall. So, yeah, but Glenelg definitely looked... The, you know, they beat Centrals pretty easily. It was 1v2 last week mm-hmm. and out at... Uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. So, yep. yeah, significant achievement by the Bays last weekend. So, uh, obviously, this weekend we've got uh, the Roosters playing the Bulldogs out at Prospect Oval. Yeah, look, on form, you've probably got to go Centrals. So, a huge game for North Adelaide. Absolutely. The Eagles v Sturt. Toss the corner, I'll go Sturt. Yeah, Woodville sitting bottom and Sturt sitting third to bottom. Yeah. Um, but, again, um, from... The top four teams, sorry, the top five, no, four teams downwards, each have had two wins, three losses, except for the Eagles, which have had one and four. So very interesting. The Bulldogs, sorry, the Bloods, the West Adelaide v Norwood. I'll go Norwood. They're just starting to get a bit of form and a bit more consistency. And look, let's also remember their three losses, I think, are by a combined of nine nine or ten points. Correct, yep. yep. And the Panthers v Tigers. Pretty hard tip against Glenelg at the moment. Absolutely. They seem irrepressible. 
four wins, one loss, eight points with a percentage of 61.77. So they are quite a ways away from the next two percentages, which is North Adelaide and Norwood. So very, very interesting there. So, yeah, who are you picking in those games? North and the Bulldogs? I'll go the Bulldogs. Sturt and the Eagles? Sturt. Norwood and uh, Richmond and uh, Panthers and Tigers. Yeah, I'll go the Tigers. Same here. I'm on the same boat as you there. All right, fantastic. We move on, mate. Rugby. Yeah, go for it. NRL NRL Grand Final came out today that there was uh, an opportunity for other states to bid for its Grand Final. Uh, We've bid for the State of Origin previously, but now we're bidding for finals? Yeah, I I couldn't see Adelaide trying to get in. I bid for it. well, we bid for everything. Yeah, I know, bid for everything else at the moment. But is it something that we we could look at? I wouldn't think so personally. But no, yeah. uh, state of origin obviously has been pretty successful in yeah. the past, but that's yeah. a different game. Yeah, different. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a. I can understand that that states would be wanting to to bid for a grand final, but are you going to get the same patronage that you would get if you were? You know, two teams yeah, I, rather than two states yeah, playing. For mine, it's state. got to be in either Sydney or Brisbane. I Absolutely. Got, unless Melbourne Storm were in it. Yep. But, yeah, no, I think, yeah. So. Looking at the NRL table at the moment, we've got the Broncos, Dolphins, Seagulls, Warriors, Panthers, Titans, Roosters, and Bulldogs making out the top eight. The big surprise is obviously the Dolphins, the Dolphins yep. which we spoke about last week. Yep. Three wins from three games. Certainly... Yeah, looking the goods at the moment. Wouldn't it be a fairy tale start if they make the final in their first year? Incredible achievement. Absolutely. All right, mate, we're going to move on. We are going to speak with Rick Neagle as part of our Past Players, Past Legends segment this week, and we look forward to hearing from him. Yep, definitely. Past Players, Past Legends, Past Legends. Tonight, we welcome aboard Rick Neagle. Of course, 66 games, 84 goals. Who can forget the six-goal hero of the 1982 Grand Final? Welcome aboard, Neags. Thanks, Robert. Good to, good to see you guys, Pete. Thank, thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you for joining us. We'll, we'll start off right at the beginning like we do with most of our special guests. Junior footy, where did you, where did you start? I've got here somewhere in my notes that it was at Hackney High. It, it was at Hackney <laughs> High, and um, I... Uh, I did a 12-year sentence there, as I used to call it, um, from Palm House to, to Year 12 at Matric at St. Peter's. So, But it was fantastic there. At, uh, certainly a great academic program, of course. Uh, but in addition to that, there was a lot of focus on sport, particularly you know cricket and football in those days. So I was loved playing footy um, at school. Um, the facilities were uh, ex- extraordinary in terms of the ovals and the like. But... It was just a, a good system and learnt my trade. But I guess back in those days, there weren't too many private school um, footballers around, actually. It was kind of the, the genesis of it at about that time in the 1970s. So, yeah, loved doing that. I also played at Walkerville um, uh, on a Sunday, I think it was. Um, used to play you know, two games of footy a week, which was a bit extraordinary. So were you um, playing with Harles, it was Tom with Tom Harley then? You're about the, trying to work it out. So no, no, no he was a little, bit, a little bit after. Yeah, yep. yeah. I was trying to work I was, out the um, news, yeah. No, I was, um, I was the physio at the footy club when, yes, when Tom of course, yeah, was yeah, playing. Yeah. So, 
Um, and look, there's been some far greater scholars go through that school since I've been there. <laughs> so, uh, the likes of Gil McLaughlin and and uh, Tom Harley, of course, who are obviously icons of the, the yes. AFL now. Um, and Tom, obviously, in the, knocking on the door for a, the big job, I think, too, yeah. from what I hear. Yeah. So it's just great to him. He has a set, he has a skill set to take that job on, I think. So couldn't agree more. Uh, good luck to him. So Neg's good luck to him. Nineteen seventy-five, nine played nine under seventeen games, won the nineteens. Of course, he did do one thing, which jump aboard is something I do have in common with you. Driving, driving Jeff Wilson everywhere, mate. Um, then you played in the under nineteens Premiership side the following year. Yeah, and um, look, that was uh, that was a great, uh, extraordinary year because we finished top, and Duncan Fosdyke and Tommy Waters yeah. with captain, vice captain that side. We had an abundant lot of players. We some of them went on to play uh, league footy. There was a fair few of them um, uh, that did that. But I I recall that we had this guy called Davy Crocker and yes. and Corey Motlop were playing, and Davy was this extraordinary um, six foot nine full forward. With the the best kick I've ever seen from a left footer, he 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 didn't miss a thing. But he was six foot eight, and um, um, he kicked bags of nine goals with three guys on him, six two with four guys on him. <laughs> he, he kicked fifteen. He had goals a lot and, of ability. Think, yeah. Oh, it was incredible. Um, so we we were destined to win the the premiership that year, I think, with the quality of the people we we're playing. Um, Davy. Unfortunately, when he um, didn't play the last game of the season, which was the grand final, he he actually um, didn't didn't turn up, which was a bit strange. But um, we we carried on, and I even remember Jason Archer pulling the boots yeah. on yep. his well, not his boots, his sand shoes actually, because of his knee problems. But in playing a quality game uh, at the time, but I stood. Uh, it was against Port Adelaide at Woodville Oval, and uh, I had the great pleasure in standing this. Uh, really young dude with curly blonde hair on the wing for Port Adelaide, <laughs> who was 16 years of age at the time. And, oh, my God, um, couldn't even get near him. Craig Bradley, of course, is his name. And Rattles was just super, super slick. And uh, uh, he was best on ground, even though we beat Port by 10 goals. He, he, he was amazing. Oh, it's just his ability <laughs> just to run and run. He was – but he – Probably in his latter years, he didn't seem so much, but he had a turn of pace that was yeah. extraordinary. Like he he just pivot around you and bang, where has he gone? He's ten meters away. It was just incredible turning speed. But um, yeah, he didn't play much footy uh, in the juniors or the reserves. I think he was actually what year was the premiership? Was that seventy nine? With Port, For yeah. Nord? No, no, it's no, with no, us against Port. Uh, yeah, seventy nine. Yeah, 70, and, and, 79 was Port South, 78 we beat Sturt, obviously, and then 84, 80, he played against us in the 84 grand final. Yeah, uh, Well, so down to 19s, he played um, in 1979. Right. Uh, that was the year we won it. But yep. he didn't play juniors the next year. I'm pretty sure he ended up playing in the, in the league side the following year in 1980, but I can't see his face actually on the, yeah, and, on the well, ground. So maybe it was 81 that he played in their yeah, and side. I, and I reckon it was about time he, he played – he went on the under nineteen tour of England and came back uh, with a, this uh, Australian right. cricket yeah. side, and then came back and played. That sounds about right. And then you debuted. Yeah, look, he was an incredible cricketer too. I, yeah. Look, I I um, had the, the decision when I was at school whether I was going to take on the gloves of you know playing cricket rather than football. But I was going to ask you along yeah. those lines. You've always, there's always been good uh, word around the traps that you were a more than capable keeper, Neeks. 
Yeah, look, I was blessed with good hands, small ones, but good ones that could take catches. But I was very, very young and small, so I was a bit weak on the batting side. You know, you're playing against taller people and the like, so I struggled that way. But I, I was playing the first 11s at school when I was 15, year 10, uh, as the keeper. So I was with all these guys I didn't really know yep. uh, as such, but, but did become friends, of course. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I just never really enjoyed it the same way as football. So uh, even though I think I was probably a better cricketer than than footballer, I, I just didn't enjoy the fact yeah. that all I did was keep. Um, I wanted to yep. bat a little bit um, and sort of circumstances at Kingsland Career Club. Uh, I felt like Barry Jarman was the coach there, but I didn't see eye to eye Barry on a lot of things when I was in the under 17s team Something there. Something else so we've got in common needs. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, yeah, it's a long story, which yeah. I don't go into. Yeah. He's passed on now, Barry. Yeah, but exactly. Um, he's a great cricketer, too. Well, yes. obviously, <laughs> test yeah. test captain and, and the likes. But but it was an easy decision for me then because really it was football that I was at my heart in. And uh, when you sleep with a Sheridan for most of your childhood, um, seven years, eight years in bed. You, no, you kind nothing's of think, well, changed, <laughs> has it, Max? Yes. Lots of lines we could go there. Yes, anyway. We'll leave it there, I think. Yeah. Uh, mate, you then uh, had a pretty solid 1981 in the reserves? Yeah, I had a great year. John Turnbull, magnificent man. Um, JT. JT. Um, uh he was fantastic for me, um, and Neil Barn was good support even to the seconds of that time. But we had a lot of great players in that in that side um, going in and out. Um, yeah, look, just love getting the opportunity to play senior footy. I didn't even think I'll be you know, good enough to make you know the twos if, if at all. But you never know what happens, and you just got to be at the right time, right place, and bang, take that opportunity. So JT was really good for me, coached. Um, I liked him as a as a coach. He was uh, kind of a traditional sort of coach, if you like, a uh, big voice. Yes. But when he spoke, when he spoke, you you listened to him. Um, I, I guess a bit like what Alan Jeans or Jack Kennedy was like. I guess for a Hawthorne Footy Club, JT had the the same sort of qualities. Obviously, not at that higher level, but he ended up being a, actually at Hawthorne as a yeah recruiting for a recruiting long time, guy, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, a long, long time. So I actually saw him at a function. Um, so last year, I think he came back from wherever he was, and you know, when some of us all catch up together again, and a uh, group of Nord guys from yesteryear, always organised by the one Albie Menzel, of course. Yeah, well, um, he, he lives um, he lives just around the corner from Hackney High, actually. Um, so Neegs in '82, so you escort debuted against Westies in '82, and then of course you had a big impact in '82. Um, a couple of games there, obviously, a very good game against Sturt at Unley in 82, standing one of your good mates, I reckon, from Hackney High for a while as well. Um, actually, Pete, no, no, because Steve Parker was yes. um, he's yeah, a good Skittle. friend of mine, Parker, yeah. good mate. Um, Skittle, yeah, Adelaide Uni boy, and uh, I, I played tennis with, yep. uh, with Skittle. Um, I thought you did uh, stand Pate for a bit. That's who I no, was thinking of. I know he was no, set half back, but I thought, he, I thought you stood him for a little bit. Anyway... No, I didn't, but uh, he was on Neville Roberts that day and got dragged. Um, now, Motley, Ma- Neville, Motley, started, Motley started on Rocky that day and then Skittle ended up on uh, – Steve Parker ended up on Neville. And um, Tim, pa- Tim Pake did too. So. Pake was, ended up on him at some stage. And, yeah, I know Mots did start on him. Um, 
on that day. And, oh, God, what a footballer he is. Yeah. I actually seeing just sidetracking, I'm catching up with him uh, on Saturday morning for a coffee with another mate of mine, Ronnie Balden, yep. in the Woodville Footy Club. And we catch up with Mott's, you know, three or four times a year at least and um, just go and see him and, and chat. He uh, He's doing real well and, you know, I just loved him as a player, loved him yeah. as a bloke and uh, a, a great story. And I know for a fact that he would have won he would have been a dual Bruno medalist oh. if it wasn't for his accident. So he was already ready to step into the, the legend status at uh, AFL level, I think. Um, Look, Mike, but I Mike. I've been playing that day. He was, he was, he, he took some marks that day at Sturt, uh, even though Neville had the better of it. I think Neville bagged about 10 goals that day from memory. But yep. he, he, he was young and he just grabbed everything. He could, good on the ground, good in the air. And um, yeah. Um, my, com- my comment about about Peter Motley is he had shades of Barry Robin and I don't think you can give a higher praise than that, and that's always my comment about thing about who, who said about, that you or yeah that's else? yeah no that's my thoughts my opinion yeah, on, this, on it. Um, I think we we're that. in agreement there, mate. Neeks, yeah, but look, that I, I game, would say that too. Actually, I, I'd say that too. He, yeah. He's Robin esque, isn't he? The yeah. way that he played. Yeah. Did that game? Was that the game where you walked away that night and thought, hey? I reckon I can. I reckon I can be a reasonable, reasonable good league footballer. Like you'd had games where you contributed, no doubt about that whatsoever. But I reckon that that game at Unley was the game where where we thought, "Hey, geez, this Neagle guy is pretty important." I look. Oh, thanks for saying that, um, Malcolm. I, I I don't know whether I actually, I actually thought at that time nor any other game until the Port game we had against um, them at Nord Over, where we yep. smashed them by. Oh, and that was top of the ladder points. at the yeah. time, I think. Yes. Yeah, over 100 points. I knew my position was safe on the side at that point. Um, we all had a good day out. And yep. When you get walk up the club and you're beaten poor by that amount of people, uh, that amount of points, and then you're welcomed by the, uh, the volunteers and the staff and the, and the supporters upstairs with applauding and shouting and screaming, um, I kind of knew then <laughs> that we we're going to be doing something great uh, this year. And, and that's when I felt, yeah. I felt comfortable in the side at that point. And then you had a big impact in that final series in general. Quite a reasonable qualifying game against Sturt. But then the second semi, the the vital goal in the last quarter. And, and you're, you're almost old-fashioned. <laughs> Isn't it funny we're saying old-fashioned? You did it the correct way for mine. Your beautiful kick got goal by running straight at goal. You got a free kick for Bucky Cunningham pushing you in the back in the second semi to put us, uh, you know, in the last quarter, very little spot to aim at, but you ran straight at goal and did a drop punt and straight through, straight through, and of course then led on to the uh, the real big day. But you were a vital part of that second semi, which I think is one of the great games in South Australian footy history. To the second semi, yeah, look, it was a great game, and um, I uh, I do remember a lot about that that particular game because Barney highlighted a f- the fact to the team at half time when I crumbed a ball from Neil Button. And yep. uh, kicked a goal off the pack, and I remember that. I can remember as clear as day, and it was so clean. And I felt, oh God, we're going to win this game too. We go there, we go to the grand final. It seemed seemed like we deserved to be there. But and there was one David Granger playing that particular game, and yes. um, he was going a bit awol, but he went a bit more awol <laughs> with Grand Cords at uh, the prelim final that followed the following week. But he um, um, he had been a bit of a compromising position on the ground with his um, with his hand on my throat and the other one in between my legs 
trying to smash the hell out of me, and I, I'll never forget it because I uh, I wouldn't say I was scared, but I'm thinking, oh my god, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> and then I saw out the corner of my eye, the light I can see. One. Yep, yes. absolutely. He runs over, and and Jimmy just didn't even have to do anything. He ran away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was one guy. There was no doubt whatsoever that David Granger, for everything he did against any other side, we never generally had a problem with David because he was absolutely terrified of the late, great Jim Teal. Yeah. Jimmy played it. Um, oh, look, I have memories, obviously, of the, uh, the 82 grand final side and that, and that particular side, and especially, you know, memories of Jim and, and Jeff Ferring, of course, of the yeah. other, who's the other person that's passed away from that yeah. side. But, um, you know, Jimmy was just a, an unfortunate yeah. accident, which was just, Terrible. Destroyed a lot of people around the club, and yeah. I mean, Jimmy was a great leader. Um, I, I mean, if there was any problem uh, that I had, even during that year, he he counselled me a little bit. Um, I was actually really close to him in 1983, where he gave me a lot of support about a few, just you know, I guess a bit like the uh, AFL players say, <laughs> I just want to be a good version of myself uh, all the time and try and help improve. And Jimmy was a capable leader and shared a lot of advice to me and. Not over necessarily just a beer, but um, just a chat um, at a coffee shop. Well, there weren't coffee shops around then, but <laughs> maybe a walk in the park or the like. Uh, he was a tremendous, tremendous champion of our footy club. Um, yeah, memories. <laughs> what, what's your What's your best moment from that uh, eighty-two grand final? Um, there was a particular time at halfway through the second quarter where um, Fozzie, and I think it was about we're kicking to the. Uh, the southern end in the second quarter, and we come off the first quarter being a goal or two up, but we took the game by just full on. And uh, it, it was just a, a time when Fozzie kicked this goal. It was about 15 or 20 minutes into the second quarter. Yeah. Out, I looked at him middle, and, yep. and I looked at him, yeah, and came up to him, and we both had this huge smile on our face because we could tell we, and, and look, I don't want to be too confident here or arrogant, um, but you know, you've you know it when you know it, and they would have to do something extraordinary to beat us after that goal, and I knew it. And the way that Fozzie and the other players reacted at the time, it was uh, it was a great feeling. You never stopped playing, <laughs> but you just were so confident that it gave you this amazing sort of level of capability, I guess, to do things extraordinary, which a lot of players did in that team. I, I can't remember the week prior to that when we were at training, we were training at full pace. Ball's been kicked at us and nothing touched the deck. It was just extraordinary. We were so switched on, uh, fit, and in time with each other, it was a, a great, great team. Good old finals uh, footy, really. And you, effect- you, you, effectively, right you effectively did a drop kick goal in that grand final too, Negs, for that handball <laughs> over the top. Yeah, and not Michael Ashe, Andrew Ashe, yeah, yeah. he gave me he gave me two two of those goals, uh, which he did. Uh, thanks, Ashe. Um, one physio to another. Yes, um, the great man that he is, and isn't he doing great work around the footy club these days? Uh, he is absolutely a legend. Uh, oh, the work he does with the players at the at the yeah. footy club currently. So, and let's also remember what he did with the Maple Girls with both Sturt and Nord. He's just. An exceptional individual, Andrew Ashe. He's, he's the BP, the quiet achiever, but very caring, compassionate, level-headed, just fantastic person. He is. He is a great person. Um, 
and even he's doing um i guess his his role as a chaplain i guess if, yeah. if you like but it's more than that it's it's more a mentor for the the kids that are on the outside having a little trouble at home because they're away from you know their parents interstate uh, just amazing support for those on the periphery more so um and and those players eventually end up playing in the side and you know they still seek advice and mentorship from him so a big tick to Andrew. Yeah. So Neeks then eighty three, obviously a little bit disappointing, but you you had quite a reasonable year, and of course we fell away. But the Westies Westies were a very good side that year. I still say they were as potent as any side's been up forward. And then we of course lost the prelim. But you didn't play. Were you injured in eighty four, or what happened there? No, look what. Um, but on eighty three, we were really disappointed with that yeah. effort. You know, bang two sets and we're out. So loss and loss. Um, Westies and then Sturt. But, yeah, I agree with you about the Westies side, that extraordinary side. Um, and they played like us the year before. Um, but I do know a lot of the senior players from that team were really disappointed in the whole group as it was, um, that we didn't really deliver what we deserved to deliver. And um, and I guess that's a fair comment coming from some of the more senior players. Yep. Because we should have really won that that year as well. We finished top, and going out in two sets was was disappointing. Oh, we won the qualifying, but... won the qualifying against Sturt, but then the second semi and the prelim. Davies kicked ten in the in the prelim against us. Um, Jumbo, yeah, Jumbo we, has a yeah, we got we got thumped in the prelim. Yeah, yep. yeah, I know we got thumped. I, okay, yeah, okay. Habit of doing uh, it. Yes, yeah, the big Jumbo. Yeah. <laughs> I remember kicking a goal, <laughs> kicking a ball. Oh, it was embarrassing actually. Um, and Johnny Wynn called me a few names afterwards, the I great win, because that, I, yes. I came out of the centre uh, at a game at Footy Park against it. I don't think it was the prelim final, fortunately, but I switched wings and we are going out there. We've got to be slick and get going over the game and whatever, and the first ball's bounce. I go through the centre, grab the, from the wing and kick the ball the wrong way, straight into Rick Davies' hands right. uh, for a goal. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Um, that was my most embarrassing moment of my, foot, of my footy career. Without any doubt, so I'm sure he let you know anyway. about it as well. Uh, when he did, he called me wrong. He called me uh, uh, what did he call me wrong way? Wrong, yeah, 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 wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gave me a nickname. I'm not the great... surprised. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he's been around a bit lately, Winnie too. It's uh, he, he has. Yeah. Look, he he considers like Neil Baum. Yep. Uh, very much the same individuals. The two of them, they're very very you know, modest and um, humble and, you know, great quality people and they consider Nord to be their footy club, even though the one's from Victoria and the other one's from WA. So, and that speaks volumes of, you know, Wally Miller and the footy club at that time to attract that type of person. And uh, and it's really nice to see Neil and and Winnie come back and be involved. They're they're the first people to come here if you ask them to come. So, yeah. Winnie's been involved in the recruiting a bit as a youngster who's over from Victoria and, uh, yeah, so Winnie's been around a bit there. Yeah, so yeah, what happened? What happened with eighty four though, Neeks? You didn't play. No, eighty four. Look, I was having a lot of uh, personal problems, right. um, and with my father and a whole lot of other issues that were going yep. around for me, and I was struggling to actually complete my physio course at the same time. Yep. And uh, it it kind of threw me in a spot to say, well, what do I do? What do I do? And I always thought you just always got to finish your degree. And yep. look, there's plenty of people that that could do physio and play footy and at a highest level and, you know, still have a life outside of those two things. But for me, I was, I was struggling a fair bit with, um, you know, with these personal issues and 
I needed to focus on just one thing. And if I didn't focus on physio at that time, I, I wouldn't have got my degree. And I, I don't regret that decision at all. It was pretty hard for me not to play. And uh, look, it was hard to actually watch the 84 grand final yeah. uh, side as well. But at the same time, I had great friends from, from there and he played in that. It's fantastic to see we won. So in 1985, you uh, you reach your 50-game milestone. Uh, how does that feel playing uh, your 50th game for the Nord Footy Club? Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic against uh, Port. Actually, I do remember it was against Port Adelaide. I think at Footy Park, and uh, I did actually have a, a good day out, which was nice as well. In fact, um, I always <laughs> remember that game for for all the right reasons. We, I don't think we won. As such, I can't actually remember, but I do remember getting moved into the centre to Stan Russell Ebert, and uh, and I, I just thought, oh my God, here I am playing on God, <laughs> and um, it's the last few years of his foot. In fact, I think that was his last year, eighty-five. Yep. And I actually had a good game. You know, I got you know twenty kicks and ten ambles or whatever, but I, I did actually poll a vote in the McGarry Medal. I'll take that. My only, my only, my only, my only event, my, my only vote for the McGurry Medal. And wow. um, I saw Russell on several occasions since then, and I actually did say to him that, um, look, one of the greatest achievements for myself was standing you, Russell. And uh, look, I hold it. I want to let you know that I polled a McGurry Medal vote whilst you're <laughs> whilst you're in the centre that week. I hate to tell him that, right? I've told him, I've told Brad and Brett the same story. Yep. You, you know, his yep. nephew and his son. And um, he he said to me, "Oh yeah, that was my last year. That I could hardly walk and do anything." <laughs> he, he he was, and he wasn't. He he played a really good game. And I said, "Look, Russ, don't worry about it because I can remember what the uh, the McGregor medal votes were. It was one vote Arn Eagle, two votes K Thomas, three votes R uh, Ebert." Take <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, Neeks. Not a problem. He could still he could still he could still play. Now I only played one quarter on him too, by the way, because I got dragged out of the centre. <laughs> Um, well, it's, and in fact, in fact, Macca got dragged out of there first, and then I got put in there, and then someone else went in. I can't remember now, but yeah, that was my fiftieth game. Sounds like both of you had your own footy that day. To be honest with you, have, have your own, own your own footy? Yeah. Uh look, I look, I I only stood, stood in for the the one quarter, so um, it was just a privilege to stand next to him in the in the square itself. But uh, uh, he, he's an amazing. Amazing bloke, amazing footballer yeah. he was. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Eggs, and then you, of course, played in the 1986 Reserves Premiership side, which was a game, it was an absolute cliffhanger at the opening bounce. <laughs> and I First will 30 on- seconds? Yeah. Oh, look, I'll be honest. I got on really well with Phil, Phil Cox from Woodville and caught up with him after the game. And he said, uh, I had a look at the two teams closely last night, and he said, I thought it would be about that margin, actually, because Nord won by 100-odd yep. points. And uh, he, he said, I wasn't really worried if I had a beer beer or whatever. He said, I, I, I knew that we were really no chance. So. Now, Neegs, yeah. Neegs, let's move on. Look, because as I've said uh, on numerous times, yep, love your six goals in the 82 grand final, all that. But way more importantly, um, you, know, you know how strongly I feel on this as well, the disability sector side of things. I explained to Pete uh, before we uh, yeah before we came on air a few things. Look, I'll never forget the night where you uh, asked me to help organise the Tootie Choir before Nord Glenelg game in 2016, and I had 40 odd people 
in the RSL um, with various disabilities and that side of things and feeding them and their carers and getting a drink, getting them in the ground, getting them lined up uh, before the before the game to sing. And I walked up and you had a look at me. You just looked at me and smiled and I went, I'm absolutely knackered, Neggs. It was rewarding, but, geez, that was a, that was a big <laughs> couple of hours. So. Yeah, look, at uh, they sang the Count Me In theme. I, yeah. Um, so I adopted that song. I got permission from uh, Gary Frost, I yep. think his name is. Yes. Um, who was the lead singer and the writer of that song, um, What About Me? And uh, I can't even remember the name of the, the band that he was in. Um, oh, my God. Uh, that's terrible, but uh, it, it's a well-known band. But that song, What About Me, is just a, a, an iconic song for Australia. And it was a story about Gary's school career as a teacher where he taught kids with autism. And uh, the whole story is about What About Me, the autistic kid that's yeah. outside the shop not being a part of it. So yeah. and I said to Gary, look, um, um, look, I'd love to use this song, but I want to change the words to count me in yep. rather than what about me? And he had no problems at all with doing that and reproducing it and using it for whatever purpose I had. He was a treasure to talk to and he told me for about half an hour what, what he what he really cared about and he cared about the disability sector and I've got to thank him for allowing us to write that song and produce it, which we did with uh, um, Rachel Learcup. Um, yes. Yeah, Rachel Learcup. Yep. And, um, and the Tootie Choir, yep. which is the 40 people that you were looking after and tending to and and yeah, it was, it was great. We we produced it. Um, we got a, a video yep, to it I'm as well. Looking at looking at it as we speak. Yeah, so moving pictures. Yeah. Rock band. Moving Aussie pictures. Rock band, yeah. Moving pictures. That's yes. that's what it was. Yes. Yes. But and, uh, well, I've got that on you know on your article on the Footy Almanac site, uh, and that. So I was actually I'm looking at it as we speak, Nags. Yeah. Look, I, that that was for my foundation county in which. Um, as you know, it's something that still exists, but my my uh, biggest impact in the uh, disability sector was more so around, obviously, the political space at the beginning. Yep. And it was absolutely privileged to be the president of the Dignity Party or Dignity for Disability, as it was initially called, with Kelly Vincent MLC in Parliament. And um, So how, how, did you, how, did, how did you get into that? I mean... You know, obviously, once you leave footy, you talked a little bit about your physio, but uh, how did you get approached for that type of role? Um, a guy called David Holst ran me. Um, and, um, yeah, he played in the 82 grand final oh, for the yep. Bays, actually. Yep. And um, and uh, he founded this party called Dignity for the Disabled, and um, he recruited me to run the seat of Nord against um, ah. Vicky Chicarillo and um, Nigel Smart, actually. and. That's um, right. And I had a really token effort that I put into that because I was uh, had my son Mitchell, who just recently got diagnosed with autism, and my daughter Taylor, who was going to race park, and life was pretty busy as it is with two kids. And um, but we already had Mitchell diagnosed, and I got him diagnosed through a psychologist eventually, and um, and put him front and center in terms of what we're doing, which is what the party was all about in those days, is making a, a statement and. David explained to me some of the political views he had in terms of what he was trying to do, and you kind of realise that you can never get meetings with with ministers um, if you've got something they don't want to hear, um, and the things they don't want to hear is things that cost or need to be funded. So disability never got a look in in South Australia. So David started the party, 
and in 2006, and I ran, as I said, in the seat of Nord at the time, now now called Dunstan, but we <clears throat> we put a few people in those um, in those seats and put three or four people in the upper house. And once you got someone in the upper house, you're never going to get elected in the lower house with the, the lack of vote attraction in terms of the mainstream. But you can, through preferences and, and the like and suitable strategy, you can actually uh, get some strength, at least get on the table and have a conversation with some of the big political parties, which is what David and I did at, at the time. So you could actually get some outcomes. And, and look, it would be embarrassing to say the outcomes that we got were very, very minor, but they weren't. Um, in fact, all it was, we wanted a public list of people that actually are waiting this for um, for accommodation and services, and they had to publish that, and that was one of our demands. And we therefore preferenced the political party at the time based on that and a couple of other little privileges. Um, <clears throat> so it, it, it was a really interesting thing to go through. I didn't get heavily involved in it because um, you know, David was wielding the, the axe, if you like. But then four years later, um, things had cleared up a bit, and look, Mitch and I had a bit of a uh, profile in the media. Um, him with his autism, he's a you know, beautiful kid that he is. He, yep. he's a light. It's all about the photos and the opportunities, and um, and we did have, you know, a little bit of a media presence. And I decided that we'd still go on with the party. And I asked David to uh, to take it on, which he gave to me, and uh, became the president of the party. And we had a guy called Paul Collier who was yes. running in the uh, the upper house. Excuse me for a minute, guys. <coughs> um, better get a water, I think. Um, and what had happened is that um, um, that, that was willing to give, given to us. And we only had about, I think, three three of us running the lower house, and we had a ticket of four people in the upper house. <clears throat> and uh, Paul was adamant that you know, he wanted to run as the number one ticket holder. And I actually approached Kelly Vincent to be number two. And I said, look, Kelly, don't have to worry about anything. You're just going to be second on the ticket. I'll pay you $400 in cash or check to, to register you. Yep. Um, we had no money. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I had, I had $3,000. And I remember drawing out of, the back, out of the bank because you could only pay someone to register as a, a political candidate with cash or a bank check. So I thought I'd do a bit of a media thing where we walk in there and we give four thousand or three thousand dollars <laughs> each of the candidates that we actually uh, got to run. We had seven at four hundred dollars, meant two thousand eight hundred dollars. We did a little bit of you know, content uh, around Facebook and whatever, handing the cash over to the electoral office and the like. So on that particular day, uh, that was the day before the actual you draw the um, the numbers out of the out of the bucket for the electoral seat. So with your number one, two, three, or A, B, C, D on the electoral sheet. And the good thing is that everyone wants is the donkey vote, which is the number A spot. So once you get the A spot, you get an extra 2% because people don't give a shit basically yeah. about who they vote for and they just put A. Um, so I organised with Paul Collier the very next day um, to meet with him after the, the ballot was drawn. He was formally elected to the sheet with Kelly Vincent, number two, uh, number three and four, I, I think, it was Ronnie Wood and Michelle Threadgold. I think was the other the other member. And there was three in the lower house: myself, Gary Connor, and Sam Payer, uh, who were running the lower house, and they're yep. very good friends of mine now. Um, those those two individuals, and <coughs> and so is Kelly too. But um, I get a phone call the next morning because um, I was going to meet up with um, uh, with. Um, Mark Panel from the Greens and with 
uh, with Paul Collier from you know, the Dignity Party. And what happened was that I got this phone call and it was Paul's phone and it was from his sister who said that, and he, I'd only seen him the day before, um, drawing the G-spot, as he, he drew the G-spot, which he made a bit of fun about. He was a man who was in the wheelchair user, so uh, yeah. he sort of made a bit of a gag about that. But the phone call was actually his sister said that he was brain dead. He had a massive stroke overnight. Yeah, wow. So we had this extraordinary situation where right. he's elected, um, and but he's they're going to pull the plug. He literally made a decision straight away because he was, he was brain dead. Um, massive aneurysm in his stomach. And look, which is just what it is for people with disability. You know, it's mm. like you, you have all these other issues. I mean, as, as I say, a man who was a wheelchair user and had a, uh, a neck injury. Um, and, uh, you know, just having a sedentary lifestyle, you know, things don't work as well and you, you die earlier, uh, yeah. which is just how it is. But of course, that put Kelly Vincent in the in the strike zone. Yeah, <laughs> I just I told her that don't worry about it. You won't have to do anything. Well, holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> um, so Makes we're on the front page of Australians, right. front page of advertisers, and now because literally Kelly's getting elected to the eleventh seat on preferences that we've done, and she ended up with eleven point one percent after polling one point nine percent, and that was purely because preferences meant a hell of a lot in those days. You could actually. Yeah leapfrog other candidates and we were able to leapfrog others and she was the last person to select in parliament and for eight years so two terms you get for four years each um we sat at the i guess the the poignant end of the upper house there was three labor three liberal there was yep. two greens two family first uh two independents and kelly with a deciding vote for the dignity party and uh we got amazing outcomes. That first year was incredible. Um, Kelly was ex, ex frightened. She called it. She was excited but scared. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she had changed. Had had a lot of people around her, carers. They changed Parliament around to try and make it accessible for her. It was embarrassing for the uh, for the government, which is what it's destined to do, which is great. Um, and Jay Weatherall was the premier at the time. He got elected into power from the Libs. Um, what was it? Yeah, no, he was in. Yeah, no, there was Labor government was yeah, in Labor, anyway. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, he's still so. And Jay was a fantastic man. We we worked with him um, over the journey, you know, before the the election. Very approachable, and um, he was the minister for disability when we were really going hard three or four years prior to it. And he gave us about four hundred million dollars, um, and nothing to anyone else. He just he, the budget that he gave the first year was incredible. <laughs> Um, so Kelly did an amazing job oh, in, she in was... that space. And we changed legislation on many, many issues around the yeah. Evidence Act for protecting people with disabilities in, in vulnerable environments. Uh, John Rao got the credit for that, but really it was her through the Barriers to Justice program that we ran for, for many years. And it was her impetus and her presence in Parliament that got that through um, and drove it. So and there are only two of the things that um, I could go on about, but... Um, um, she she was amazing. Oh look, next too. It was and yep. she smacked me around a fair bit, um, deliberately, because um, <laughs> I didn't get it. Um, some of the things I just didn't get about accessibility, which I do yeah. now. And my foundation count means all about accessibility and universal design, which is really my thanks to Kelly Vincent, who who really educated me about what that's about. And rather than make a 
foundation about autism or, or the like, I try to make it more generalistic because everyone can get better accessibility, even in the aged care sector or families or people with disabilities, as long as you build and design things properly, which we don't do. A couple of things really out there. Out there. Look, Neegs, uh, Neegs wrote me in to help, help a little bit during those elections. He always put himself last and everyone else first. Um, probably could have polled better himself if he actually, but he was always concerned with everyone else. Um, you know, Neegs, so I went in on election night to help uh, with Neegs and we'd coaching, we'd lost. I was in a shitty mood. We yep. lost outright. And I got in there within five minutes. I'm feeding a lady in a wheelchair who's pointing the other way and I'm thinking, what right have I got to be pissed off about a Mickey Mouse game of sport? And I don't call Rick lightly, my life leveller. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a few things. You know, there was one day driving home from work, an average day, rang Neggs, said, I'll call in your joint, give you a hand looking after Mitchell for a while. And Mitchell with his autism gets generally one phrase a day. And that day it was, where's Will? And he, I was there for an hour or so. I stopped counting at 200. And honest in awe of Neggs with his patience with it all. Look, Pretty incredible too that the first time he had to give mouth to mouth was just to his own son. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, look, Neg- yeah, Neegs. And in terms of that, as I said, yeah, love your goals in the grand final, but in reality, stuff all compared to everything else Neegs is doing and done for the disability sector. He's been certainly educational for me. Uh, there was once where I actually did help Neegs was quite my memory for numbers and all that was when. You got us to help uh, go in to set up um, the office and that. And so it was wheelchair, diabetic access, there was shower stuff. And I've just quoted a figure to you and you've sort of looked at me, well, how do you know that? And I've said, well, well that's what it was when I was uh, nursing for the, with the, the aged care system. I don't reckon it would have changed much. Look, I'll ring Emma now and she'll look it up for you, look it up because my wife's an OT, so she looked it up, and it only changed by several millimetres. We would have got away, and, and Neegs went, Jesus, you remember bloody footy figures and this this sort of stuff as well. So, yeah, and just... Yeah, look, yeah, it's um, it's a, it, it's made me a better person. I hate saying yeah. that sometimes. No, but, it is. But it does. I, I get and, what and you mean, Neegs. Your kids do. Your kids do. And really, I don't know whether I would have... I don't know whether I'm a social capitalist or a capital socialist, but I've always had something in me that wanted to do something. And obviously when you have something personal like um, a child or with a disability or, or mental health problem or even even problems of some kind, you either choose to get frustrated, which you do um, many times, or whether you turn around and see what we can do otherwise. And, you know, it's Mitchell that's run that, but um, it, it's a privilege to have been involved in the sector and I, I'm pretty much away from it politically um, you can't yeah. keep doing it it's yeah. impossible it's just yeah, so it's hard just, yeah. and when you're getting knocked back all the time it's, it's demoralising so that's why I want to acknowledge Kelly but also Jay Weatherall yeah. his input and some other great leaders too I mean Steve Marshall was all over it as well but um, it's a game and um, yeah. game you can play for a little while but not forever and I just I do want to say though that <clears throat> it was funny about um the day that Kelly and and I make a particular highlight about that night that you came to um, Gillis Street for the yeah, yeah. for the party that was um, attended by thirty. I think we had thirty lower house seats in the two thousand eighteen yeah. election, and we had eight young women under the age of thirty uh, stand for us, which is 
an incredible amount of people. There's not a lot of young women in Parliament. So we had eight running, including my daughter, who ran the seat of Bragg, Bragg against um, Vicky Chapman. And um, there was only three people running that seat, a Greens candidate and Liberal and uh, oh, Rick Sarr. Yes. Rick Sarr for yes. Labor. He's a yeah. great, great man, great, great man. man. Love, he, he attended that night, actually, our yes. party, too, by yes. the way. And um, anyway, um, Taylor did nothing. I said, look, I just need your face, love, to, you know, to help us out, you know, a bit of presence. I said, you don't have to do much. Well, she did nothing, um, had, a, had a presence in the uh, in the seat. I ran in, uh, deliberately in the seat of um, not Dunstan or Nord because uh, we had um, um, ben, ben Wilson running in there and I... Yeah. I ran the seat of Hartley because that's where that's Nick Xenophon right. was and I, we preference one another and, and um, uh, Vince Tarsia, Grace Portolazzi, who's well-known, the ex-mayor, and about three or four other candidates, about eight people running the seat. Anyway, I I polled 1.1% and I was the first person <laughs> out. So And I spent two weeks at that polling booth, the pre-polling booth, with Kelly's face on my jumper and, um, you know, uh, the posters, the core flutes we had, and I was there literally every single day for two weeks, handing out and promoting her and and, and our party. And I get this phone call at five thirty from Taylor on that night of the election, and she's seen that I got one point one percent, and she said, "Dad, <laughs> I've I've done absolutely nothing, and I've polled four percent. And <laughs> if, if you get four percent, you get your money back. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she got a thousand bucks." Uh, was then to run the candidate, so that cost us thirty-two grand for that, just for the people to register them. And she was one of two people that we got our money back on. And she said, "And you got one point one percent. What does that mean? You do all that stuff, <laughs> you get one yeah. percent, and I get four. Um, it wasn't about that. It was about increasing the field and having volunteers at voting booths and and, and the like, but also to show that we were running young women uh, with or without disabilities um, to try to get them." a bit of voice in Parliament and really proud of what was done and never regret it. I've had enough, though. <laughs> yep. Work smarter, I'm, not I'm done with politics. Yep. Yeah, work um, and I'm doing other stuff now. Yeah, I'm doing other stuff in the sector now. I've got, a, got some other stuff going on privately that I'm working on, so got investors involved in, so won't talk about that too much because it's uh, not quite complete yet. Yeah, but, we'll have a chat uh, privately about that yep. next. Maybe, yeah. Physiotherapy, are you still involved in doing a little bit of physio? No, look, I, so when, when I'm trying to remember when that was, in 2008, mm-hmm. yeah. I, um, I'd been a sports physio at Wakeford Sports Clinic, one of the founding partners there um, with the surgeons and, and the doctors, the uh, Brian Sando, Dr. Brian Sando, but I was struggling a lot with my arms, and which I struggled a lot with my, my legs when I was playing football, and Brian actually sent me on a bit of a whirlwind visit to all these specialists around. Uh, in fact, there was one in Victoria and a couple in South Australia to try and get a diagnosis of what was going on with me because it wasn't chronic fatigue, it wasn't uh, glandular fever. These are the sort. It was aching in my muscles, and uh, and I retired pretty early from footy when I was 26, um, and it was a lot because I had a bit of surgery on my knee and my shoulder that year and my back was giving me grief in my leg. I, I couldn't train. The volumes that the army wanted me to actually train. And I said, the more I train, the more it aches um, in my legs. Well, I retired and then 20 odd years later, 
got the same symptoms in my arms, um, very, very, very much similar. And I uh, got diagnosed with a muscle disease, yeah. which went off to a, you know, they did some tests on me, took biopsies, ran specialised medical and blood tests and things like that, and found out I had a thing called McArdle syndrome, which fortunately wasn't multiple sclerosis or, or, or uh, um, any other type of disease, which, you know, M&D, uh, of course, these sorts of disease, it's, it's pretty mild, benign disease, but it does impact my life in a very, very small way. But it did impact my physio career, and I retired forcefully and was deregistered due to safety reasons, and which was fine because I had income protection and TBD and uh, business insurance. And in fact, for me, it was it, it was a good outcome in a way. So um, I haven't worked for money for and still don't for about 15 years now. So thankfully for insurance. Uh, I thank my people at Perks and Associates, <laughs> my insurance <laughs> consultants and my financial people that were there because seriously, without them, uh, what happened to me, I'd, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. Yeah. Well, so, hey. yeah. So no more physio for, yeah, a uh, long time ago, I retired. Look, Nags, uh, yeah, important player in Nord Footy Club's history, obviously. There's obviously other areas we could have could have gone to. That famous uh, famous night at Waverley, um, but <laughs> yes, we'll leave that alone. Were those games? Were those games yeah, fun? Yeah, were they? Yeah, I, they I, were. I, I, we played against Geelong, Essendon. I remember playing against Essendon. Yeah, but the famous game was the Western players. Bulldogs and the Richmond game. But we won't go there. Um, what start goes on tour stays on tour. So, Meg's probably have evolved, and as I said, disability side far more important than footy and. Uh, yeah, thanks, Neegs, and catch you tomorrow night. Thanks, Neegs. Good on you. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Peter. Thank you Good very time. much. Thank you. To the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. And we've just been speaking with Rick Nagel, and uh, fantastic to hear about not only his football career, but his uh, involvement in the disability sector. Yeah, and that was, look, being honest, how I felt the more important side of it and getting Neegs on. Um, Neegs has messaged just within a couple of seconds of going of, of failing, and I will read it out. What I failed to mention to you and Peter was the reply to my daughter Taylor on election night in 2018 when she was highlighting that she polled 4% was doing very little and I polled 1% while doing shitloads. This was my immediate reply to her. It's not about who has the most numbers, it's about who does the one percenters. So well played, touche, Neggs. Yes. And look, he does remember on that same night of the after party when all the people who ran in a seat for dignity saw their names on the TV. And I do remember this as well. Being there, every time they saw their names, everyone cheered and cheered one another. It was priceless. Wooditi really bought the meaning of it uh, and that and the closeness. It's one of the favourite moments during Neeg's political career. Lily, we're out of these two memories of that night remain with with me forever. So Absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Neeg's. Almost, uh, thank you very much, almost a football mentality there of the one percenters and and supporting each other and... I think clubs are very, very important for fostering that, but obviously from a personal point of view, he was able to you know, get down, get his hands dirty and make sure he needs to do what needs Just to be done. Just a bit of fun staring Taylor a- up. Absolutely. So, uh, so we'll, we'll make sure we pass that interview yes. on, on to him so he can pass it on to her. Oh, don't worry, he will get tagged. All yes. right, mate, let's move into the happy days. Yep. Happy days.
And our first happy days today is happy birthday to Samantha Stoza, Australian tennis player, US Open singles champion in 2011. Uh, nine Grand Slam doubles titles, four tour finals doubles, including 05, winning it in 05 and 06. Born in Brisbane, Australia. Look, a fascinating player who probably struggled a little bit mentally with her own demons and all that, and it's no success that her wins were when she was the underdog. Um couple of times his favourite fell over. Much maligned for that, that as yeah. well because, you know, we obviously wanted it to be successful. Didn't pull out the win at the time and you're scratching head going, ah, bugger, so not, not Serena again. Williams when winning yes. and, and then losing a couple on paper. So, yeah, a fascinating individual but, you know, pretty successful as well. Absolutely. You know? I think she's a bit too maligned for considering that. Absolutely. But, yeah. No one can take away her US Open no. victory. Went very, very close in a couple of other Grand Slams. The doubles one is for me that we've always done well for Australia in the doubles. We've always had players, no matter whether it be in the male or the female um, side of the game, that would always do very, very well. And and nine Grand Slam titles. I think on that it comes back to our upbringing with everything in sport. Very much team aspect. And probably we're more in that regard than uh, other countries. And that then has come across and worked in that regard. Absolutely. bit of a side note for a happy birthday that's not on the run sheet tonight um, is uh, Darren Mead. Happy birthday this week to Darren Mead. Obviously part of Port Adelaide's uh, initial uh, uh, AFL squad, but very successful at the SNFL level as well. Wanted to give a bit of a shout-out to our Port supporters who have been listening to our podcast this week with Martin Leslie. Yes. We'll give another uh, plug to Darren Darren Mead. We might even try and get Darren on at some stage, which would be fantastic as well. All right, we move on. Uh, This week in 1995, um, second time in Grand Slam history that the number one and number two ranked players in the same Davis Cup team, has it a guess who they might be? Yeah, I reckon it might have been Sam Press and Andre. It was yes. Sam Press and Andre Agassi. Uh, they score uh, victories in the US quarterfinal against uh, Italy in Palermo. Yeah, a couple of, a couple of outstanding games. champions, yep. you know, for US uh, tennis as well, um, you know, no bigger than Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, especially when they're in full flight. Get the right off the ground too, Andre. Yeah, Absolutely. Well uh, in 1997, cricket, mate. West Indies yeah. win their third test at Bridgeton uh, in Barbados by 38 runs by setting India a modest total of 120 yeah. uh, run target. Now, you'd think in most cases that would be chased down relatively easy, but that's that tricky in-between score, isn't it, that, Makes you think of it, and you've still got something to bowl yeah. at. And yeah, West Indies, you know, still back then were yeah, absolutely probably a bit of inner belief, which they haven't got now. Yes, okay, we know that they've fallen away in talent, yep. but back then, you know, Walsh, Ambrose, yep, we can still bowl a team out. We can win this. Absolutely, and- I don't think they even remotely would consider that nowadays. Hundred and twenty, they'd be walking out on the ground. In, we'll be on the we'll be in the bar in an hour, in fifteen twenty yeah, overs golf, yeah. golf club yeah. later on the uh, yeah. golf course on the later in the afternoon. Uh, Brian Lara actually made eighty one in his debut for this test, so you know he's gone on to to be one of yeah. the all stars for, for for West Indian cricket. Yeah. But wow, one hundred and twenty again that, that modest total, and they won easy in the end too. Yeah. Really, thirty eight yeah. runs. Yeah, uh, we move on, mate. Uh, racing, car racing. Uh, German brothers uh, Michael and Ralph Schumacher become the first siblings to share front row of the grid in a Formula One World Championship event, qualifying first and second respectively 
for the Brazilian Grand Prix in Sao Paulo. Incredible achievement. I tell you what, you reckon they would have had a fair drag race between the two of them? Yeah, good luck anyone else catching them, the police Fam- or whatever, yeah. Family s- yeah. sibling rivalry goes Oof. to a whole new level yes. there. You wouldn't want to uh, to be at the dinner table, mum uh, mum cooking up the food yeah. there going, you know, which one of you are going to win? It would just be on for young and old, wouldn't Oof. it? Well, they got out and had a drag. It might have finished in the next country. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and fantastic that uh, that siblings can uh, can share that that yes. moment there. Obviously, yes. and and obviously with what's happened with Michael Schumacher in uh, recent years, it's something that uh, they'll look back on um, fondly later on in life. Uh, and to finish us off tonight, mate, uh, in two thousand and one. Swimming at 15 years and nine months, American swimmer Michael Phelps breaks the 200-meter butterfly world record at the U.S. World Championship Trials in Austin, Texas. Becomes the youngest ever male to set a world record. Oh, look, he's and obviously one of the all-time champions. That's uh, sort of... He is in um, that GOAT category, isn't he? Yeah. So one of the all-time greats, if not the greatest, um, yeah, Incredible 15 years, and it's probably there where you could go, well, yeah, we reckon we might have a decade of dominance from this guy, and he did. Some very good swimmers in that period there from Australia as well that probably held him back just a touch, but, you know, definitely, you know, he uh, collected a few uh, records, a few Olympic medals and a few com- uh, few Olympic re- records and a few Olympic medals along the way there as well. So very, very well done to Michael Phelps. So um, we will, uh, we'll congratulate him on that. All right, mate, let's move into the Extra Time Big Finish. Yep. Extra Time Big Finish. Kick off, mate, with once again concussion in the AFL. We saw a tackle that was quite dangerous between the Adelaide Crows and Richmond on the weekend. Is it something that still needs to be educated or do you think the players have had enough education on it so far? I think he was lucky to only get four, that it was such a bad tackle and that they have been educated well and truly. And a couple of people have said, you know, hey, if it's not, let's keep giving more and give six. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to argue with that. Um, I think he was lucky to only get four. You know, um, trying to think, Scott Lysett, I think got four for a sling tackle, not that you know, yep. thing. And you'd think, but that was a that was a Barry Crocker. Yeah. You know. So four weeks for Broad was a justified oh, result. At least four. Yeah. Um, obviously, we saw the. Three side by side the week before with McAdam and and Buddy and um, and Pickett, um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I I just don't understand that if they're being educated like this, that once again we get into this situation where they've crossed the white line and it always invariably goes a little too far. Yeah, about tennis. Yeah, Carlos Alcaraz, Alcaraz. replaces Novak Djokovic's yeah. number world number one. Wow. Um, we talk about are we seeing a changing of the guard? This kid is only nineteen years of age, and he's got the complete game. He has. He's now got to win a major. He's got to, you know, he's got to then knock off Djokovic in a big tournament yep. and all that, and then away he could go. So I read a report yeah. the other day that that um, uh, some people are comparing him to a an Adal, a Federer, and a Djokovic sort of rolled into one. So. If he's able to uh, maintain that type of um, uh, game, 
geez, he's going to be one of the all-time greats, and it's going to be a case of that he may be the one that chases down the record yeah. and, and does very, very well there. Um, Tanasi Kokonasis wins, but does something very unexpected, mate. So he threw his racket after winning the game like he'd lost the, the, the game, and it was basically on a call that had happened two points earlier. Oh. Frustration. Uh, very un- very unlucky not to have the point taken away from him and then having to play another point. Unusual for Tanasi to lose his yeah. cool like that. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd make mention of that one as well. Strange. Mate, the Sheffield Shield final was one and run. Yeah, predictable, unfortunately. Uh, WA, you know, they had the bowlers came back. Uh, Paris uh, um, came back into the side, the brothers as well, and the, just a little bit more depth there. Uh, Kelly came back in as well. Too strong yet again. And WA, two years in a row, yep. have, won, have won everything. Look, yeah. They are the temp- scorches as well. So it's they only, are the template yeah. of it's everything at the how moment. you really need to be setting up your team with a lot of their uh, younger players that have now come through and they're reaping the rewards. Uh, well, pretty incredible to win the Shield one day and the, and the Perth Scorchers two yep. years in a row. It's... It's certainly a huge dominance. And it, also their depth in WA. You know, people who are missing out on ga- mm-hmm. games just, yeah, so they yeah they seem to have everything covered at the moment. And yet they haven't played too many test matches there <laughs> um, recently. So and yeah, I, I know the COVID pandemic was part of that as well. Are we going to see some test matches back at the new Optus Oval very, very oh, soon? I would think so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's normal. Move on. Now, um, but WA people they've got to they've got to support they've got themselves to blame a bit. Mm-hmm. They haven't supported big game, you know, big yep. test matches and all that. So they've yeah, okay, yes, West Indies aren't the major draw card, but um, yeah. I think they've got themselves to blame a bit there. Absolutely. All right. Um, We'll come back to the AFL, and this probably relates a little bit to the SNFL. Should the centre bounce be replaced? Yes, 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 and yes, and that's from an umpire. Done. Yes. We won't go any further. Uh, This week, uh, the AFL announced that there could be technology that is going to place a microchip in the ball that will assist with the arc. Good, bad, not so good. Look, you can argue that therefore you get the correct result. I'd like to know financially what what the costs are, mm-hmm. and that that's probably my question there. That if we're spending, you know, a million or two million dollars, whatever, that that money could be used in grassroots. You yes. could argue on that. So I'd like I'd like a little bit more education. Absolutely. On As yeah. I said, it only came out this week, yeah. so I'm assuming that it's a little bit of a, in that testing phase, as that they want to want to test this out to see where, how yeah. effective it is. And you're right. How much is it going to cost? Um, I think that any technology that can be added is a good thing, yeah, but but, but uh, I do see that there are some decisions that are being reviewed that probably still need to be in the umpire's hands. Yep. That's just a personal point of view. All right, mate, and to finish off, and we've deliberately left this one till last tonight, a third AFL team for SA. Nord has rumoured, which has been put to bed, obviously, in the last 24 hours, uh, that they're putting a bid together for the AFL's 20th team licence. The logistics of this happening, yay, nay, or uh, not a fan? Personally, it's a no. Uh, I just don't think there is the business capital around in South Australia. They'd have to pick up a huge national sponsor, probably three or four. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's pie-in-the-sky stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I know it might be Nord's charter and want to be in the main in the main competition. Yep. I understand that, yep. but I just still think it's unrealistic. Yep. And I don't think there's also the talent bit. I, I don't. I'm I'm quite happy for a team to go be in Tasmania, but it should be a team relocating. Yes. From, you know, it's ridiculous. It's still AFL. Let's be honest. It's the extended VFL. We're still ten teams in Victoria. There's too many teams as it is. Yep. I'm sorry. Let's go back to Adelaide. Murphy, Keys, Hinge, O'Brien. What honest battlers in terms of – but we're talking the elite level. Mm-hmm. Surely that's above the battler level at the elite. And for mine, that is showing overall, I don't think you can justify all those teams. You know? I, I, I agree with you in some respect, but also I think it's, it's incumbent on Nord to be able to – put something together that gives them a better direction of a yay and an a. Now, look, we haven't had the 19th team really approved yet. They've exactly. sort of came along and said, we think that there will be a team in Tasmania. We think that there will be a stadium. We think that this is all going to happen. Obviously, it's dependent on funds, funds as well. Uh, I agree with you that there is some concern with uh, talent uh, across the current 18 team competition um, but where where does it leave Nord we, we're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place and we did have a little bit of a talk about this uh, before we came on air that it, it leaves Nord in a, in a delicate position because they do want to be aspiring to play in the top competition but financially does it break a club I, look Nord are going to have to decide that. But you're looking at around $100 million to get an AFL side up and going. I just can't see that money being around. And let's be honest, they're not footy clubs. They're giant, huge corporations, franchises, yep. you know, whatever you want to call it at AFL level. I just don't think there's that money around. And look, we're still coming back from COVID businesses and yep. that. So... I just don't think. I mean, look, the the twentieth, the nineteenth team doesn't look like it's going to be in before twenty twenty five at this stage. Is it something that Nord can look at for say twenty thirty? I'm just thinking out aloud. And that's a possibility. Population increases. The submarine deal. Will that mean a lot more money in South Australia? Can we pick up a national sponsor? It's a maybe. International sponsor as well. I think you've got. I think you've got to think holistically. To Port's credit, they were doing with China. So, you know... There, yeah, there is opportunities it's there. A, it's a maybe. At the moment, I think it's pie in the sky. Yep. Maybe in another few things can change. Yep. But, yeah. Where does that then, obviously, you talk about um, Nord, obviously, wanting to be in the AFL. Where does that leave the SNFL? Because, you know, you, you lose Nord, you lose Port. Oh, look, if Nord did lose, that would be the death belt. Look, I, I'm, I hate to say it, but I can't see... In ten years' time, that SNFL doesn't become Div One of community football. Right. I just can't see it surviving long term. I'm sorry, those of us who follow SNFL footy yep. are older. Mm-hmm. You know, our average age in the Greater Western Stands in the seventies at Nord, and that's the same with every club. Yep. You know, you do a coaching clinic now, and if there's forty kids there. You'll be lucky to get kid two kids wearing SNFL gear. So. You know, I don't think the clubs do enough out in schools, but then you can also argue is there money around to be able to yep. do that? Yep. So it's a cash twenty two. Absolutely. So there's a lot of things there, but I just yeah, I can't see it. 
So the strategic development, not only from obviously uh, the Nord Football Club as as a potential to go into the AFL, and I'm with you, I do see it as a positive that they should look at, but I think that there's got to be a lot of dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's, and I mean a lot of them before that'll happen. So I'm all for it. I think that it's great that they're aspiring to be in in the top level. Yes, there's some logistical issues that will need to be sorted out well and truly before then, and who knows, there may be uh, an AFL team that does go by the wayside and, and, and another licence um, comes up. But then it also opens up, we, we talked about what, with Wayne Jackson um, a few episodes ago about the um, divisional, um, or regional type settings where you, you, you're splitting up AFL uh, teams. It may be an opportunity to create a two or three tier I- competition where teams can rightly win their way into a uh, into a higher level as well. So, yeah. yeah, there's opportunities there. So, yes, we did leave that one specifically till last, and we do know that there'll be uh, a few listeners that uh, that will be tuning in to see what our comments are yeah. and where we're at at the moment with it. And I think it's a wait and see, but I think it's a positive move. Yeah, look, it is, I get where Nord are coming from. Don't Don't dare think that. I just don't think it's realistic at the moment, yeah. as we said. If things change in the state overall, yep, it's a maybe. The rumor going around was obviously that that business people were getting involved. That's a good start. Yeah. The clubs come out and said, "Look, you know, we're not necessarily looking at it seriously at the moment." But you, like you said, it is part of their charter, and it should be. Yeah. Any club should be aspiring to play yeah. high. It doesn't matter whether you're playing for marbles, tossing yeah. of the, you know, two up coins, uh, lawn bowls, football, tennis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You should always be aspiring to play yeah. high, and I think that's where they need to be. I do understand that. Yep. All right, mate. We'll uh, we'll leave it there tonight. We've covered a uh, once again quite a few topics. We thank Rick Neagle for uh, joining us, not only giving us his uh, comments about the SNFL Grand Final that he was a star in in his career, but also his work in the dis- disability sector. Definitely. Thanks, thank mate. you very much, mate. Thanks, mate. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCastSA. We'll see you next time on Game On.